I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about George Zimmerman Speaks, the impeachment impending and the Senate preparing, Bo Snurdly's new PAC, Trump leads on food stamps and refugees, and Ohio's vote fraud problem. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Yesterday on the show, I mentioned at the close of the show that George Zimmerman, who was involved in the incident in Florida with Trayvon Martin, and he, George Zimmerman, was found not guilty. He was acquitted um, after he had admittedly fired a gun and shot Trayvon Martin as Trayvon Martin was physically attacking him. The story is now a lead story in American Thinker, and I want to hit just a couple really important points, but I also want to encourage you to read the story yourself. This is George Zimmerman. Again, he was the shooter in the case involving Trayvon Martin's death in Florida. And why this is in the story again, in the news again, is this. When this incident occurred, this is George Zimmerman, not a police officer. In fact, he, he's a Hispanic American and, and a Democrat who had done community advocacy trying to stand up for the rights of a homeless black man, as well as someone who had worked intensively in helping to tutor young black fatherless school children, or I guess teenagers. The point is George Zimmerman was a guy who happened to get end up involved in this incident in which Trayvon Martin was shot in Florida, and it led, that whole incident exploded into the uh, controversy, the nationwide discussion about race relations in America and about how Trayvon Martin was an innocent young man, a, a child, you know, a, a, not an adult, who was gunned down as he was happily skipping home from running down to the store to buy some candy. The real story, which George Zimmerman told that night, was that he did get out of his car and look for Trayvon Martin because he thought he looked suspicious for a variety of reasons that made sense and Trayvon Martin jumped him and had George Zimmerman on the ground, Trayvon Martin sitting on top of him, smashing George Zimmerman's head into the pavement. Zimmerman's yelling, help, help, help. A neighbor looked out, a neighbor saw what was happening. He yelled out, hey, knock it off, I'm calling the police, or something like that. So after this incident occurred, so George Zimmerman was able to get to a gun he had in his pocket, and he shot and killed Trayvon Martin. This is a tragedy all the way around. It's a tragedy for Trayvon's parents. It's a tragedy for America. No one wants a young man to lose his life. But the question at the time after the police were called was, did George Zimmerman, did he shoot in self-defense? Or was he, as Trayvon Martin's family tried to create the story, was he simply randomly wandering around in this, uh, in this area, this um, housing development, and just randomly and for no reason at all drew a gun and and shot Trayvon Martin. 
So that was the Trayvon Martin's family story that, you know, this young man, Trayvon Martin, was innocently coming home from buying some candy and George Zimmerman, the neighborhood bully, got out of the car and shot him. Well, the truth is when the prosecutors and the police thoroughly investigated the case, they decided not to charge George Zimmerman. They agreed he had shot in self-defense. He was worried about losing his life as Trayvon Martin sat on him, smashing his head into the pavement. The injuries George Zimmerman suffered that day, uh, for that evening, the back of his head bleeding, the nose broken, the nose bleeding, all of the evidence, including the, the person living in the neighborhood who opened his door and yelled out, hey, cut out, all of that evidence was what was uh, delivered to the police and the prosecutor initially, and that's why they decided not to charge George Zimmerman. However, the leftists in this country, the mainstream media and leftists in this country saw an opportunity to stir up racial tension in this country, to stir up racial hatred. And so President Obama actually sent down, he was president at the time, sent down a team of people to Florida and in George Zimmerman's view, agitate the community, demand justice for Trayvon, demand that there be a further investigation or a federal investigation or something like that. Well, eventually, the lawyer hired by Trayvon Martin's family, Benjamin Crump, came up with a witness, a witness. He claimed that he had as a witness Trayvon Martin's girlfriend, who was on the phone with him at the time of this most unfortunate and tragic episode. Benjamin Crump claims he's found this witness and this young lady is going to say she's Trayvon Martin's girlfriend and she's going to say that the story as she could hear it over the phone talking to Trayvon was consistent with the parents, uh, Trayvon Martin's family's version of the story, which was he was that he, Trayvon Martin, was not the, the aggressor. He was innocently skipping around, you know, coming home from the store with candy and that he was shot for no reason at all by George Zimmerman. So leaving out a lot of detail, which you must read yourself. I can't encourage you strongly enough to read the opening story, the top story in American Thinker today. It's by George Zimmerman. George Zimmerman, is, his uh, article is called, We Are All George Zimmerman Now. He lays out what happened that night, including getting to the fact that the woman who took the stand swore under penalty of perjury to, be, to tell the truth in the case in which he was prosecuted, Zimmerman's prosecutor for the shooting of Trayvon Martin, this woman was a complete fraud. It was a hoax. She did not no Trayvon Martin. She wasn't on the phone with him. She was, she had no idea what the facts were. She was, and you have to question who convinced her, who arm twisted her, who enticed her to become part of this. But this woman testified on the witness stand, gave the story similar to what the Trayvon Martin family was trying to portray, which was Trayvon was the innocent victim and not wanting to acknowledge Trayvon was actually the aggressor and that George Zimmerman shot in self-defense. We mentioned at the close of yesterday that George Zimmerman's filed a lawsuit now, a $100 million lawsuit. He is trying, after all this time, to clear his name. I can't urge you strongly enough to read this story, first of all, and then second of all, to think just about all the things that flowed in America, in our country, in our culture, in our political climate, because people believed the story that Trayvon Martin's family cooked up, that Benjamin Crump, the lawyer, cooked up. 
that they put a witness on the stand who had absolutely no idea what happened that night. She was there just to play along with the Trayvon Martin family concocted story. And the jury saw through it, by the way, the jury acquitted Zimmerman because her story made no sense and none of the actual evidence in the case fit the version of the story they were trying to tell. But look what happened to America. Trayvon Martin became a rallying call. There was a, you know, million hoodie march in Washington to stand up for, to find it, to justice for Trayvon Martin. Trayvon Martin was a name that was thro is thrown out by political candidates, even the uh, no longer presidential candidate, but Kamala Harris, uh, before when she was still in the race, she used Trayvon Martin's name in speeches and remarks to try to, again, stir up racial tension, to try to egg on the American people to think that Trayvon Martin suffered an injustice, that George Zimmerman was, you know, got away with murder. And the simple fact is, friends, if you were in the situation that George Zimmerman was, and you were armed, and you thought your life was actually in peril, which, you know, if someone's banging your head, they're sitting on you and you can't get away and they're smashing your head into pavement, you know, so the back of your head is bleeding, you're going to potentially lose your life. It was not an irrational fear on Zimmerman's part. So all this time, the Trayvon Martin case has led to so much racial tension in this country. It's been manipulated by leftists who work very, very hard to continue to agitate in America, to try to divide America, to convince Americans that there is a profound problem with racism and racism behind every corner and, and ultimately to get themselves more political power. Zimmerman's life has pretty much been destroyed by this. I will leave that say that much and you can read his story but you know he can't he can't progress forward his life has been ruined by a story in which he really was as found by the investigators who looked at it found by the jury who heard heard the whole trial and then exposed by now what we talked about in the show before the Trayvon hoax documentary done by Joel Gilbert Joel Gilbert a Hollywood filmmaker actually investigated and discovered that the prosecutors and the family permitted a completely fake witness, the, the key witness in this case. It wasn't like she was a tangential witness, just somebody who was, you know, identifying something or other. She was the witness that the prosecutors had to try to make the claim that George Zimmerman had actually committed a murder for in a random way, didn't care at all who this was, that just shot Trayvon Martin for no reason at all. She was the key witness. This entire thing, this entire case, the prosecution of George Zimmerman for the death of Trayvon Martin fit the leftist narrative of pummeling away at the fabric of our culture of our country, pummeling away at national unity and, and racial, uh, uh, the ability of the American America to be a country where there is not racial tension, racial harmony, racial understanding. This is a leftist determination. It continues today to to and the Democrat Party and candidates all over the Democrat field perpetually trying to claim that we have a profound, deep, horrible problem. And they yell the name Trayvon, and all of a sudden they get people just hysterically. Uh, 
r- ranting again about the Trayvon case and George Zimmerman saying, actually, no, I'm entitled to have the American people understand the truth. I'm entitled to get my story out there, to clear my name, to have the American people understand that I, George Zimmerman, shot Trayvon Martin in self-defense. That's what this documentary is about, the Trayvon hoax. That's what his lawsuit is about, a $100 million lawsuit. It's really to force to the front, to force to the public, hopefully to the newspapers and the public understanding what really happened that night, how prosecutors worked against the idea of justice, worked against the idea of pursuing truth, and worked very hard to find a reason to prosecute and try to convict George Zimmerman. This is his story. It's going to be a huge story. Now, he may get in front of a judge um, who doesn't want any part in stirring up the Trayvon Martin case again and just drop it. That may happen. But I am very glad that George Zimmerman has decided he doesn't have to live the rest of his life in hiding, as he does now. He more or less lives in hiding because of all the people in this country who think that he got away with murder when actually what he did was in a very tragic case. I mean, no one's happy it happened, but a tragic case of killing Trayvon Martin in self-defense. And that, my friends, is today's first five. Well, you probably saw the news. Impeachment is uh, rolling along in Washington. And you know the, now the Judiciary Committee has the case. And we talked yesterday about the brilliant testimony. In fact, I can't urge you strong enough to listen to it again. The opening statement by law professor and renowned constitutional scholar, Jonathan Turley, who is a George Washington University law professor who really laid out what the facts are about what the Democrats are up to, which is just they're mad, they don't like President Trump, they want to find a reason to get rid of him, and they are cooking up out of nothing a case to impeach the duly elected president. But what's happened today, I want to hit two quick things. Uh, one is Nancy Pelosi made her big announcement. She is actually going to pursue uh, formal impeachment. So we have a clip. I sent a clip to the very extremely wonderful producer, Matt Stoker, who just does gets my clips ready when I, even when I send them kind of late. So he's got this clip ready, I believe. This is the statement made by Nancy Pelosi this morning, essentially saying, yes, we're going for impeachment. Over the past few weeks, through the Intelligence Committee working with the Foreign Affairs and Oversight Committees, the American people have heard the testimony of truly patriotic career public servants, distinguished diplomats, and decorated war heroes, some of the President's own appointees. The facts are uncontested. The President abused his power for his own personal political benefit at the expense of our national security by withholding military aid and crucial Oval Office meeting in exchange for an announcement of an investigation into his political rival. Yesterday, the Judiciary Committee, at the Judiciary Committee, the American people heard testimony from leading American constitutional scholars who illuminated without a doubt that the President's actions are a profound violation of the public trust. Our democracy is what is at stake. The president leaves us no choice but to act because he is trying to corrupt once again the election for his own benefit. Sadly, but with confidence and humility, with allegiance to our founders and a heart full of love for America, today I am asking our chairman to proceed with articles of impeachment. Okay, there we are. I have to tell you that that was such, such a con job, such an acting job. 
that woman, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, is has been recognizing she's stuck. She's got to go forward seeking articles of impeachment. She has nowhere to go with it. She is trying, that's an acting job you're watching, trying to act, this is very serious and very solemn, and I'm very sad and I love America. This is a woman who hates Donald Trump. She hates the idea that her pal Hillary didn't win. She hates the idea that Donald Trump is draining the swamp big, 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 big time. She hates all of that. And so she tried to make a pious announcement of her own, just I'm so upset and I'm so unhappy and I'm so bothered. Anyway, they're going for impeachment, it does appear. The other piece, so we'll have to go forward. I don't know how much more of a hearing the Judiciary Committee is then going to hold. I mean, they've got whatever the Intelligence Committee came up with, which was nothing, and they have all that testimony, and they have the articles of impeachment that they're gonna draw up. I don't know if the Judiciary is even gonna need to call any other witnesses, but they are going to draw up articles of impeachment to understand the process. So the committee draws them up. They have to have a committee vote. It'll likely come out along party lines. Democrats have the majority, so they have the majority in the committee. And then the impeachment vote goes to the floor of the House. It is widely believed that this impeachment vote may actually happen before Christmas that we're going to have this vote in the next several weeks, couple weeks, where the committee draws up the impeachment articles and the committee votes and then the House votes. And it's also widely believed that there are, is, or is likely at least, that these impeachment articles are actually going to include references to the Mueller investigation, to the Trump-Russia collusion, non-existent hoax. But this is how desperate they are to put as much as they can out there, as much as they can in terms of what they're claiming Trump did to try to build as strong a case as they can to get it passed on the floor of the House. Now, I know most people are treating the House vote as a foregone conclusion. The Democrats have the majority. They're going to vote for impeachment. I cannot urge every American on both sides of the aisle, every state in this country, to contact your member of Congress and contact your senator ahead of time just to say don't you dare this is so wrong there's nothing to this we the you have to put pressure on the members of congress to recognize they will pay a steep political price if they do not if they vote yes for impeachment there is no basis for this impeachment i'm including myself in this my congressman is a democrat and he's saying all along, trying to say, well, I don't know, you know, I'm kind of watching it. He's going to vote for it because he does what Nancy Pelosi tells him. But at least he needs to hear from his constituents that this is wrong. So that's what's happening in the House side. On the Senate side, it's most interesting. I saw um, that uh, apparently, you know, Chuck Schumer, who is the Democrat minority leader in the Senate, and Mitch McConnell, the, the, the um, Senate majority leader, are talking about the terms of the impeachment trial in the Senate. Now, you remember back to the House side, what happened shortly after the Democrats took control of the House after the 2018 elections, they changed a lot of rules. They changed many rules, including the rules that related, that applied to these hearings we've been watching in the House Intelligence Committee, the House Judiciary Committee. The, the Democrats in the House made rules that simply protected themselves, gave themselves the ability to ramrod this impeachment through the U.S. House. They made rules that said, essentially, distilled down to plain English, the accused, President Trump, does not have due process rights. He can't call his own witnesses. And for example, even the Judiciary Committee just yesterday, we, the Republicans got one witness, one. 
And that was the, the brilliant testimony of Jonathan Turley. The Democrats had a bunch of experts up there blathering on and on about how this was the most outrageous, you know, constitutional uh, challenge or whatever. They, they were just on and on. They're just, they were just partisan hacks. I'm getting at, though, the House Republicans watched that impeachment hearing in the House with very little ability to in any way impact it. They did get to ask questions. They were frequently cut off. They had in the House Intelligence Committee, they had Adam Schiff coaching witnesses, interrupting, I mean, just impossibly, uh, not just unprofessional, but biased behavior. And I know, now switching to the Senate side, where if the House impeaches, it goes to the Senate. Switching to the Senate side, I know the Senate tries to fancy itself as a far more, you know, um, statesmanlike and far more serious, and they are uh, they're, they're a very, uh, you know, a more contemplative body, and they don't act like the Republicans in the House. They don't act like the House does. The Senate, you know, they're trying to to convey this, you know, the, the, this is like the secret club of all secret clubs, although they're not secret. You know, the highest echelon club in the country, a hundred people in the Senate. And they've always tried to hold themselves out as, you know, we don't behave like the House. We, we, are, we are more, um, you know, we're just, we have a different place in the Constitution, a different role. We're, we're the upper body. You know, there are very few of us. We behave with dignity. I am telling you, folks, number one, I have no faith at all. Zero, zip, none, nada in Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell is the point person for our side. He's the one who should be saying to Chuck Schumer, if we've got to put up with what happened in the House, do not think for a moment that we are going to accept any limitations on what evidence the Senate can hear. We're not going to accept any limitations on who can be called as witnesses, how many witnesses we can call. I mean, the the Republicans in the Senate, I'm getting at, I don't want them to be as nasty as the Democrats were in the House but I want this Republicans in the U.S. Senate, led by Mitch McConnell, to be strong, to recognize this is not just a battle over this idiotic impeachment inquiry. This is a battle over the right of the American people to choose their president. This is not just an attack on President Trump. It's an attack on the idea of the presidency, the role of the president as being the person in charge of foreign policy. It's an attack on the American people who chose President Trump to be their president. It's it's an assault on our very constitution itself. That's what's at stake in this impeachment. And I hope that Mitch McConnell is just doing the courtesy check with Schumer, Chuck Schumer, to say, hey, can we run through a bunch of of rules and can we come to agreement? Because I sure would love to have us come to agreement about what rules we're going to have in place to conduct the Senate, the trial in the Senate, should the House actually vote to impeach. However, I have to say, folks, I have no faith, and I'm sorry to say it, I have no faith at all in Senator Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell was the one rumored, if you don't remember this little tidbit, McConnell's one rumored to have said to President Trump when he wanted to appoint the brilliant member of Congress, John Ratcliffe, the Democrat, I mean, excuse me, the Republican from Texas, appoint him as uh, as the um, for DNI, and the uh, and McConnell told him no, won't confirm him. Director of National Intelligence, McConnell said no, he won't confirm him. Other rumors that I mean, these aren't just rumors like you know blathering in street corners. These are highly placed people making these points in Washington. McConnell has stood 
in Trump's way in a variety of ways. He stood in Trump's way as it relates to the um, appointment of who is going to uh, be the director of national intelligence, wouldn't let him have Ratcliffe. I know also when President Trump would really like to remove Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI, and the you know well-placed rumors were saying McConnell said we're not having another confirmation hearing for the head of the FBI. I don't care if Ron, maybe he didn't say, I don't care if Christopher Ray is undermining you, Trump, which he is, but McConnell is, if anything else, a political animal committed to self-preservation. He has done a good job in getting judges confirmed. This is not a dangerous thing for him to do politically. His people want him. His state wants him. The Republican voters in Kentucky want him to get Republican judges appointed to the federal courts. So he's not doing anything brave by actually fighting for that. Not even a tiny bit brave. This standing up for President Trump, putting on a trial in the Senate that actually calls Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and Adam Schiff and the secret whistleblower, that would be a very brave move. It's what has to happen. And I hope and pray that Senator McConnell can find the leadership, find the inner strength, find the backbone to actually stand up for this president, stand up against his impeachment assault, put on a trial in the Senate that actually conveys to the American people, this is what the Democrats did. And you know what? If you're gonna have the House, sticking in a little bit in the impeachment, uh, articles of impeachment related to the Mueller investigation, it's almost good news. Because then we can get in and talk about in the Senate what happened inside the FBI, what happened inside the DOJ. How do we get to the point that the coup plotters actually got the, the FISA court to issue warrants to spy on Trump's team? How do we get to the point that we cooked up a complete farce of a, of a Trump-Russia collusion hoax and actually burden the American people with millions of dollars of tax money to investigate this fraud, you know, weeks of hearings, and all we had to do, and all of that because of what the Democrats did, or the leftists did inside the FBI and Department of Justice. So I'm very, you know, it may really backfire on the Democrats if they go through this impeachment, especially, and including if they go through the idea of sticking in in the impeachment, uh, articles of impeachment in the House, that they want to also comment something about Trump and the whole Mueller investigation. I hope they do. But folks, we are in for a battle, and I gotta tell you, the people who preserve this country, you might think it's your congressman or your senator, it's not. It's you. It is the people in this country, the people willing to stand up and say, this is an outrage. It needs to be said, you need to be saying it to your member of Congress, your senator, your neighbors next door, everybody you talk to, this is an outrage. And you know, there was a really funny comment uh, this morning, kind of wrapping up this segment, but there was a really interesting comment. Uh, Congressman Al Green, who is from Texas, I'm embarrassed to say, he's a Democrat from Texas. He's the one that's been filing articles of impeachment in the House you know, since President Trump won, he's the one that was complaining. In fact, he said on in an interview that we better take out President Trump now through an impeachment because otherwise he might win his election in 2020. This is really what the Democrats fear. They cannot handle eight years of President Trump draining the swamp in Washington. So Al Green has now issued another complaint about the House Judiciary's conduct. I'm not even gonna go into that. I'm just telling you folks, it's a really important time to remember this is a 
it's impossible to overstate the importance of this battle we are watching in Washington. It's not just to take out Trump. It is to send the message, the Democrat, and you can even think of it, the Uniparty, because some Republicans are not, and most Republicans are not helping President Trump. It is the Uniparty standing up, and mainly the Democrats, but the Uniparty, to the American people and saying, you will not elect someone that we don't approve of. You will not elect someone who's gonna drain our swamp and change Washington. We're in charge here, the ruling class rules, the deep state rules, and you crazy voters out there who picked this guy who is upsetting our apple cart, we're telling you no. This is really the message of the Democrats and the deep state in Washington. You're not allowed to pick someone who we don't like. Enough on impeachment for today. Some good news, actually some really fun and very good news. Okay, so yeah, if you all listen to Rush Limbaugh, which I think a lot of my listeners do listen to Rush Limbaugh, you often hear the commentary in the background, Bo Snurdly, and Rush Limbaugh goes back and forth and, well, what do you think? And Bo Snurdly, you know, he weighs in on different issues. Really, really engaging guy. In fact, my husband and I got to meet him, Bo Snurdly. He came to Dallas, I don't even remember why, some political event, but he came to Dallas, and he is the most gregarious and friendly and upbeat, happy guy. So Bo Snurdly has created a new PAC, a new political action committee. And he did it with a friend of his, uh, whose name I did not know, a black conservative, Autry Pruitt, but uh, by the way, Bo Snurdly is not his real name. You probably knew that. His name is actually James Golden. So James Golden, AKA Bo Snurdly, created a new pack. It is called the New Journey Pack. And the purpose of it is, it's a political action committee that promotes conservative values among black Americans. It's a beautiful thing. Comments by the founders of this new pack, the New Journey Pack. Uh, they talked about the concept was not to build a destination solely for black conservatives or to solely promote black conservatism, but to be a destination for all conservatives. Frankly, this is what they said about founding it. We founded this destination, this website, uh, out of frustration. We're fed up with racial narratives that the left uses to paint conservatives as bigots and racists simply because we have a different view of public policy and politics. The goal of the new PAC is to debunk the phony liberal narrative that Republicans, conservatives, libertarians, evangelicals, and even conservative Democrats are racist. Uh, and they actually have one of their slogans is, make black Americans Republican again. So make black Americans Republican again. And they have, a, they at least have one web, uh, I don't know if it's a website, but they have cornered the idea, MAGA, M-A-G-A, MAGA.black. So this is great news, you know, piling on to the success that you've already seen with Candace Owens and her Blexit movement. This is one of the most dangerous things for the American left is to have Democrat voters, black voters in America, hearing from other black Americans about the fact the reality that regardless of what Democrats say to you, the Democrat narrative of everybody who won't agree with us is a racist is a lie. This is what Bo Snurley's pack will be talking about. You need to stop listening to the Democrat narrative that basically says everything, everyone who won't agree with us, everyone who argues with our positions, everyone who ever says you know anything we don't like is a racist, for, for black Americans to hear of someone of both Snurdly's caliber, to hear from Candace Owens, that actually that's not true, that you're being lied to. This is a very, it's a wonderful step for America, a wonderful step, wonderful step for conservatives, and a very, very dangerous step 
for the Democrat Party. Great news on both nearly. I love it. Okay, next story I want to hit was Trump's. Um, he, he's actually, you know, for all of this attack on him, this endless impeachment uh, effort has been, which has been going on before he even took office. He's kind of on. Trump is a just, relentless leader. President Trump, he knows why he ran. He knows what he told people he stands for. He knows what he said he believes in. And he's just doing his agenda, regardless of the fact that the Democrats are trying to take him out. And most Republicans in Washington are doing very little to help him, which is simply unbelievable and unforgivable. But two things on this Trump is leading on doing his thing. One has to do with a food stamp rule, a new food stamp rule. And the food stamp program is now called SNAP. Um, but the food, new food stamp rule, which became effective, uh, finalized yesterday and goes into effect in February. It refers to a group of people, this new food stamp rule, or, and they use the acronym ABAWD with an S on the end, the ABAWDs, which are able-bodied adults without dependents. Able-bodied adults without dependents. New rules in food stamps applying to these people. And the basic thing to know is this. In the food stamp uh, legislation, or when we had the welfare reform in 98 or 96, 98, whenever that was, we had uh, welfare reform, and we had uh, a, an idea in there that you know if you're able-bodied and you're not staying home raising children, even if you need help buying food, you ought to try to work. You ought to try to find a job, even part-time, just something. Be a little bit, you know, be part of helping yourself become self-sufficient. Well, the rules were written in a way that permits or uh, counties and uh, the areas where people are on food stamps permits those entities to waive the requirement that able-bodied people without dependents, ABAWS, able-bodied adults without dependents, that permits these jurisdictions to waive the work requirement, even for people who are able-bodied and don't have children. And it had to do, it was tied to the unemployment rate, basically saying, if you have an unemployment rate uh, in your area, that it basically was saying, if there are no jobs around to be had, I mean, if you're just really, you can't find a job, we're not gonna hold it against you. We're gonna let you keep collecting food stamps, even though you're able-bodied to have no dependents and you're not working. And what happened was the way the rules were written, it permitted the recipient counties of this uh, food stamp assistance to monkey around with the data, to shift around the data, to shift around how they measure. So basically waiving almost everyone out of the requirement to have a job if you're able-bodied and don't have children. In fact, in two states, Illinois and California, the way the rules were previously written, the people who, you know, who implement the food stamp program found a basis to waive almost every county in the whole state, Illinois and California. It's a way for people who are trying to generate dependency on the government, trying to maximize dependency on the government to play with the rules, play with the system, and end up to where they were saying, essentially, these people, you know, they just, they, they fit the waiver standards because of the way they measured employment and what area they measured unemployment rates in. And so they basically pretty much waived, at least those two states, the entire state, saying nobody had to find a job. So President Trump, uh, new, new rules out. And the reason I wanted to bring this up, you know, it may, it's going to save some money and it's going to inspire some people to get on the bandwagon and get a job. And I will say, I actually do believe 
that the food stamp program has been, uh, it, it has some people who receive those benefits who truly need them. The idea of it was essentially women, you know, who have uh, women with dependent children and nobody to help them. I mean, there, there was a, a rightness to the idea that, you know, some people need temporary help. You, we don't want, we don't let people starve to death in this country. We want to provide help. It's not mandated by the constitution as a role of the federal government, but it is in our Judeo-Christian society or generous society, we want to help. But with so many programs, as with so many other programs, if you don't keep an eye on it, the people implementing the programs, they benefit by keeping people enrolled and encouraging and increasing the enrollment because it increases their budget, it increases the number of people they can hire, it increases the whole dependency uh, program, you know, set of programs in America. And there's very little incentive if you're working in those areas, you're, whether you're in Washington or you're working in the food stamp, whoever implements food stamps in these various states and counties, they don't have the incentive to try to really push people to find employment. They're, they're, why would they? They get a paycheck. In fact, they probably get, they are more needed and more likely to retain their job if more people need food stamps. The incentive to inspire people to get out there and work, to understand your able body, it doesn't exist within the government program. So anyway, President Trump has put this new rule out there, it's now out, it's gonna go into effect in February. But I raise it today, not just to say that I think it's a great idea, which I do think it's a great idea, but I also raise it to say, there's a, a bravery there that, you know, somebody in President Trump's position being assaulted ever since he won the election, being told by the media and the left and the Democrats, you're never gonna carry out your agenda, we're gonna stop you and we hate you. All of that is going on in his life every day since he won the presidency. A lot of people in his position would say, you know what, maybe if I kind of tiptoe back, maybe if I just, you know, I, I can do some of my ideas I said I was gonna do, but I can't do all of them. And I'm gonna, I don't wanna do things that are gonna give me bad press. I don't wanna do things that will give me people new reasons to attack me. He doesn't seem to be persuaded by that at all. He runs on, he, he does the things he ran on, which included streamlining government, include draining the swamp. This is a swamp draining measure, by the way, this kind of measure cutting back on the food stamp program and inspiring people to work, cuts back on the money, cuts back on the people working in the system, trying to encourage more people to get enrolled. It just, it's a, it's a great swamp drainer. Second swamp drainer got hit really quickly today is President Trump issued an executive order um, uh, in September. And it basically said, this related to refugee resettlement, and I can't tell you what an important story this is. In fact, I'm thinking this coming Deep Dive Monday, I always do a deep dive on one topic on Monday, or often I do. I wanna deep dive and try to explain the refugee resettlement programs a little better than I have in the past. I've talked about them over the five or six years the show has been on, but I wanna explain something. To start with, President Trump issued an executive order in September that basically said that refugees, you know, people from other countries who are fleeing uh, persecution or, or other problems coming to America, that before refugees can be resettled in any state or any county, those state and county entities must agree to receive refugees. Now you might think, well, yeah, but, and you know what? You'd be right in a way because the law, the original refugee resettlement law from 1980 said that. It said the states have to agree to accept 
refugees. They have to agree and they have to agree in the numbers, but that's just been ignored by the people in Washington who benefit from the refugee resettlement program. So it was actually in the law, but the new executive order said, you know what? You've got to get permission from the states to to, for refugee resettlement. I'm going to give a tiny hint, or I'm going to talk about on Monday, but just hit the basic story today. So what's happening right now, there are organizations that the shortened term people use to refer to them are VOLAGs, V-O-L-A-G. They're voluntary agencies. There are essentially seven, although there are many more involved. These VOLAGs, voluntary agencies that assist the government in resettling refugees who come to America, and these organizations take charge of some segment of these refugees coming here, then they resettle them in various places around the country, and then that those organizations not just get paid the costs of resettling these people, they make money. They make money. The Lutheran Church, I, I grew up in Lutheran Church. I mean, the Lutheran Church is huge in this. The Catholic Church, huge in this. They become incentivized to encourage more refugees to come. They're not helping refugees who already are coming here. They are part of the advocacy in Washington to bring more refugees here. They're advocating in Washington to bring refugees here and they make money because the refugees come. They're advocating to take more tax dollars from American citizens in the form of refugee resettlement dollars. So now these VOLAGs are on high alert. They are going wild, contacting governors in every state, other officials, city uh, mayors of cities, trying to say, hey, come on, you know, get on board with us, sign on, agree you want more refugees. You'd love to have more refugees because they realize their gig is up if, these, if numerous states say, you know what, we're done with refugee resettlement for a while. Now that we finally can enforce our right under federal law to say no, we're done for a while. So there's a heavy lobbying campaign going on by these VOLAGs in states all over the country, including Texas, where we have the uh, not uh, unimpressive um, record, we are, Texas brings the most refugees, has the most refugees of any state in the country. And so, I, you know, you might be listening to this and thinking, well, isn't it nice we're trying to help refugees? What could be wrong with that? And this is what, what I want to tease about Monday. Refugee resettlement is not just about helping people who are in need. Refugee resettlement is heavily interlaced, interwoven with a series of truly radical left-wing organizations that fund and encourage refugee resettlement to America. They want more refugee resettlement to America. It's not out of being nice. It's not out of being generous. It's entirely about the idea for the same reason they encourage, encourage abandoning the border, bringing more caravans over from the southern border, bringing more people here and letting them come in, abandoning border security. It's the same idea. This, we America lovers don't tend to think in such calculated terms but organizations like this do. They support and encourage refugee resettlement specifically to America with the notion of filling America's cities and towns with people from other countries who eventually will become American citizens 
who buy into their left-wing worldview, who do not understand what America is, who are not coming here to assimilate in America. They're coming here, orchestrated by these groups, to change America. Groups include, that one was called Welcoming America, but you have to understand, Open Society, George Soros' organization, funding them by the millions. Uh, Unbounded Philanthropy, Kellogg, Kaplan, a whole bunch of them. Carnegie, all of these left-wing entities are funding and encouraging the idea of bringing refugees to America. They're all, the, all the Volags make money off of it. And, and I am not saying, and all that I'm saying here, I'm not saying we shouldn't have any refugees. Of course, I'm not saying that. But our refugee policy should be based on the consideration of the communities and states where the people be resettled. We need to eliminate the middle player, get rid of the the Volags that are motivated by making money because they go to Washington, they advocate, they lobby for more refugees, and, and then we bring more refugees here, which they make money on resettling. And this it is actually keeping themselves, keeping their coffers full. Their incentive is not to think what's good for America. Those Volags, they're not thinking what's good for America. They're thinking, how can we make more money by bringing more refugees here? This is a much more complex issue than even what I've mentioned. There is all these interlaced entities involved in it, vital to understand. And on top of all that, the impetus for many churches to support the refugee programs comes is is as a result of another long-term nefarious um, underhanded manipulative effort of soros funded organizations to change the way the christian church thinks to change the way the christian church thinks in terms of america being preserving america couldn't possibly matter you know that the bringing more refugees to america regardless of their background regardless of their uh the reasons they're coming here regardless of whether they needed to flee their home country this is a there's a very conscious effort on the part of soros affiliated people In in fact Soros's team calls it rent and evangelical, a very conscious effort to manipulate the thought of leaders of the Christian church in America, Christian churches of America, to think about immigration and refugee resettlement as a Christian duty when it is contorted with or mixed in with their left-wing agenda, which is to use the refugee resettlement programs to undermine the American culture and fabric and ultimately the country. I'm gonna do a deep dive on this on Monday. I'm just gonna tell you, it's important to understand, you're not mean if you don't want more and more refugees in your community. Last quick story to tell you, you know, we had a great guest on the show just the other day, um, Monday, you know, Tuesday, uh, Russ Ramsland was talking about uh, election fraud. I wanna tell you just a quick vote fraud story came out of Ohio uh, just this week, and the Ohio Secretary of State, Republican Frank LaRose, announced on Wednesday, after an investigation by his office, he's uncovered hundreds of illegally registered non-citizen voters, just in Ohio, swing state Ohio. Hundreds of, it's like 277 people on the voter rolls who are, now he's not saying they're illegally in America, they may be legally here, but they're not citizens. They have no right to vote, but they're on the voter rolls in Ohio and included 77, 77 of them who cast ballots in the November election. More on that soon, but you have to understand, people say there's no voter fraud, there's no problem, we don't need all this legislation, this is conspiracy talk. Just in Ohio, one swing state, and just the ones they were able to uncover, hundreds of people registered to vote, a lot of questions about who encouraged them to register? Did they realize they 
we're not permitted to vote. Very valid question, but their prosecution's coming because you can't vote when you're not allowed to. And this idea of the left trying to argue endlessly there's no voter fraud in this country is a another one of the leftist uh, manipulation of America to encourage us to, to discourage people to look into voter fraud and to uncovering it. And folks, as we get to the end of every show, I always want to tell you I love talking to you every day and I love doing my show for you and with you. I want to turn to talking about why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we have the George Zimmerman Speaks, America's Thanks to Joel Gilbert, the Hollywood documentary producer. The Truth of Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman is coming out. Read George Zimmerman's post on on today's AmericanThinker.com. The full truth is there. You gotta read the facts for anyone honest enough to receive it. The unjustified racial smear of and scar on America, another lie that was and is a product of the mainstream media, the Obama era, and the leftist agitators who benefit from convincing vulnerable Americans of the lie that our country is teeming with racism. This lie, this whole effort can be healed with the truth. George Zimmerman and his lawsuit deserve a fair hearing. On the impeachment pending and Senate preparing, Pelosi goes for broke, calls for articles of impeachment. Schumer and McConnell allegedly sparring in preparation for the Senate trial. McConnell needs to give Schumer nothing. We have a majority in the Senate. Use it. The ruling class seems undeterred. They will not allow this country to be run by the ignorant masses, a.k.a. the deplorables who voted for Donald Trump. Maybe Pelosi is playing for a tie, getting Trump to call off Barr Durham, exposing the coup in exchange for her dropping the impeachment vote. A lot of people are speculating that. I don't think so. I think she's going to do it. But anyway, don't bet on it. 2020 is setting up to be one of the most consequential years in U.S. history. Be engaged on the side of American patriots to save this country. Bo Snerdley's new pack, you gotta love it, Rush Limbaugh's brilliant off-air right-hand man stepping up. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdley, formed a new pack called the New Journey Pack to promote conservative values among black Americans. All Americans benefit from right ideas, benefit from right ideas and the robust debate of ideas. No one deserves to have their political alliance assigned to them according to their skin color. Few movements in America today are more consequential and positive than black realignment toward conservative values. When unity and brotherhood are defined around conservative American ideals, the result will be progress for everyone and true advance toward a more unified society. And Trump leading on new Trump policies on food stamps and refugee resettlement reveal an engaged president despite the mainstream media deep state leftist assault he still takes on the hard issues on food stamps his policy of adjusting um, his excuse me trump's policy adjustments reaffirm the food stamp program was never intended to create an entitlement addiction those seeking benefits and able to work should refugee resettlement president trump issued an executive order permitting states to accept or decline refugees which the original refugee resettlement law required but it was ignored we must recognize the huge financial benefit to the volags and the mission of dozens of interlaced organizations to use resettlement to build leftist political power and finally ohio's vote fraud problem a battleground swing state discovers hundreds of illegally registered non-citizen voters the integrity of the vote ought to be a bipartisan imperative. You should ask yourself why it's never bipartisan trying to clear up voter fraud. Elected officials seem unwilling or unable to muster the courage and clarity to deal vigorously with threats to the integrity of the vote. This can change, but only with unprecedented energy 
pressure activism from authentic, excuse me, from American citizens demanding integrity in voter rolls. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in every day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America?